Welcome to the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode 39 of the Melissa Arc Scripts podcast, and thanks for listening. Now, on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Dr. Jacinda Abdul Mutakabir. Jacinda, known as JAM, and I are going to be discussing many things, including her dedication to improving public health and giving back. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to JAM, and then also let her tell you about herself, her career, and many varied experiences in life in general. Jacinda Abdul Mutakabir is an assistant professor of pharmacy practice at Loma Linda University School of Pharmacy and a critical care infectious disease pharmacist. She's dedicated to magnifying and rectifying health inequities in minoritized communities. Her passion for improving public health has been recognized by the United States Public Health Service, USPHS, becoming the 2017 recipient of the USPHS Outstanding Service Award. That is so cool. Her research has led her to be recognized by the European Congress of Clinical Microbiology and Infectious Diseases as one of their 30 under 30 outstanding young scientists. I can't wait to learn more. And fun fact, the Jam and I connected over Twitter. And so it's, it is amazing to see um, how these connections come together and what they look like. So I look forward to learning more. Well, Jacinda, thanks for being here with me today. As we get started, maybe you can talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, about your family, and your pharmacy experience at University of St. Joseph School of Pharmacy. Thank you, Melissa, for having me. So yeah, as you stated, my name is Jacinda Abdul-Mutakabir. Um, my last name was gifted to me by my husband. We've been married uh, about three years now. Um, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Originally, uh, I went to Howard University for undergrad. I went to University of St. Joe's in Connecticut for pharmacy school. And then I went back to Howard where I did uh, my PGY-1 residency. And then finally, I uh, completed an infectious diseases, pharmacotherapy, pharmacokinetics, pharmacodynamics research fellowship at Wayne State, as well as a master's of public health under the tutelage of Dr. Mike Ryback. Uh, growing up in Detroit was uh, an experience. I mean, Detroit is my favorite city. So I was very excited to be able to go back there and train. Going to Howard was um, amazing. And then I went, of course, I didn't get tired of it. So I went back there and did my PGY-1. It was a joyous experience to be able to um, learn alongside other Black individuals with doctorate degrees. So it was um, it was beautiful for me, a really wonderful time in my life. And yeah, so I went to USJ for pharmacy school. While at USJ, I uh, chartered Kappa Psi. So I'm a proud brother of Kappa Psi. My dad is always, he thinks it's the funniest thing when people call me Brother Jacinda. So I'm always, you know, really excited to, <laughs> to bring that up to him. So uh, pharmacy has been uh, a great experience for me thus far, although I'm only, I guess I graduated in 2017, so I'm just now about to hit the five-year mark as a pharmacist, but it's been just a wonderful experience. I love every day of being a pharmacist. Well, I love hearing about your experience and, you know, you're growing up in Detroit and then bringing you to Howard and, you know, returning to Howard. It's wonderful to hear kind of the resurgence and the prominence that Howard is receiving. I mean, it always has been, 
from a cultural standpoint and you know from a, a science standpoint it's, that's really really neat and i love that you're a brother in kappa psi um i am not but i've had many others on my podcast nancy alvarez who you know has been very active and uh, several others so that's really neat and you know, I, I mentioned this in the opening, but it's so fun when we can make these connections on social media and then realize, you know, pharmacy is a small world. And so there were many people then who started talking about you and your work. And I'm like, well, we need to get to know each other. And a friend, a good friend of mine who did the residency, APHA executive fellowship, like me, Michael Hogue, is your dean. So I just look forward to us jumping in and, and chatting today. This is going to be fun. Well, you know, why don't you tell me a little bit more about some of your mentors and your influencers, both pre and pharmacy school. For mentors, while in pharmacy school, I will say that um, I have a sorority sister that is also a pharmacist. She actually followed the exact same pathway into pharmacy. She started as a Howard student. She went to Howard for pharmacy school, and then she went ahead and did both a PGY1 and a fellowship. That was actually how I came to the place where I wanted to do the ID uh, fellowship. So she was a big influence in my life. Her name is uh, Dr. Kira Dotson. Well, Dr. Kira Wilson now, she recently got married over the weekend. And oh. um, I know, very exciting time for her. Yeah, congrats. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I'll make sure to let her know. And also- Yeah, my, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, give, we'll give her a shout out. We'll give her a shout out. Congrats, uh, Dr. Kira Wilson, the newly minted. And then also my um, ID pharmacy uh, professor, Dr. Derwis Kirk. Little did I know she'd also done a pharmacy fellowship at uh, the Hartford Hospital under the tutelage of um, Dave Nicolau and Joe Cuddy. But um, she was a really big influencer for me for choosing to go into ID. She was always so enthusiastic. And to this day, she's also one of my mentors in ID. I think even when I decided to take this job at Loma Linda, she was the first person I called. So I love her. And if she's hearing it, Dr. DW, thank you so much for being such a big motivating factor in my life. But when I think in terms of equity and really tying it all together, I would have to say that Babuti Aria, who was here previously, Lakeisha Butler, Dr. Hope Campbell, Dr. John Allen, they've really just been a humongous um, influence to me and the sponsorship that I've received from them is really just unmatched. Uh, they've, at every turn, they've really worked hard to amplify everything that I'm working towards. They've been um, just amazing individuals to be able to work alongside. And I think one thing that we, we talk about mentorship, but having someone that you can trust to say your name and to say it with the utmost respect and to be able to say your name in rooms where you've not yet been introduced um, is so important. And I really appreciate them for doing that for me. And then also um, I have a ID physicians that have just been amazing in terms of just support, sponsorship, mentorship, Dr. Jason Marcellin, Dr. Maddie Davis, Dr. Nada Fadal. So just really amazing um, individuals who have really lifted me up as I really tried to catch my footing with being a, a pharmacist. Well, I love, thank you, Jam, for sharing, you know, the examples of people in your own life, but also for taking the time to talk about mentorship and sponsorship and, you know, the idea of making sure that people's names get brought forward and that people are around the circles and the table. And, you know, that is a goal of mine with the Melissa Rx Scripps podcast is to widen the path, widen the circle and invite others in. So I think that you gave the examples and I know how important it has been in my career for the sponsorship that I've received. And, you know, you echo that. So that would be something I would kind of throw out there to our listeners that if there's 
someone, whether it be for a committee appointment or to work on a publication or to get involved with something with an organization, bringing others along is so cool and so rewarding. And, you know, when you mentioned Howard in, in our earlier remarks, I just want to give a shout out to former Dean Wendell Hill, who's a past president of ASHP. And he passed away many years ago or several years ago. But early in my career, when you talk about mentors and um, people being inclusive, and he invited me to speak at Howard University when I was the APHA executive fellow, executive resident. And he was also a Drake University graduate like me. So I came over and I did that. And I have to say, it was just so wonderful for me to be there at an HBCU. And he was really there. This would have been in, um, in the early 90s. So he was really there in the building and growing process. But I look back fondly on that. And then he ended up becoming a Weaver medalist for Drake. And then I was a Weaver medalist. And so I've met his wife, Marcella, and his children, and um, who are very accomplished in their own right. So I don't know, you just you just like realize how these circles move forward related to pharmacy connections. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so, so cool. In the introduction, I talked about that you serve as a lead pharmacist and cl clinician for the Loma Linda COVID-19 Equitable Mobile Clinics. And that is just such, such important work right now. And I know that you've worked really hard to address barriers to COVID-19 vaccine delivery in the Black community. So what does that look like? And what are some of the lessons that you've learned through this process? It's been an interesting experience. So it's always so funny when I tell people how I even ended up in this uh, in this in this position. So um, I guess you know through sponsorship, but I begun get, um, having conversations about just vaccine confidence and talking through uh, frequently asked questions in regard to the vaccines. It began with a conversation I was having with a group of my uh, my ID girlfriends. So we have a group of Black ID PharmDs, and uh, we're really close. And we began talking about the vaccine, the trial, so the Pfizer trial when it became released. And we were going to have a journal club amongst ourselves to just, you know, have the knowledge to be able to give others when the time came. But uh, when we were having that conversation, or when it was suggested by uh, my friend, uh, Dr. Michelle Maxim, I then stated, well, why don't we have this on a larger scale? So we had a bigger presentation of this journal club, per se, um, underneath um, the pharmacy initiative leaders. So we utilized their platform for that. I then went ahead and I started to record podcasts through sponsorship, right, with Dr. Jasmine Marcella. She connected me with Dr. Jay Sheree. She has a podcast. If you guys haven't checked it out, slight plug, check it out. So I was invited onto her podcast. I sent the podcast recording to my chair and then my chair then sent it to our vice president for community engagement, as well as the infectious diseases chief, Dr. Jennifer Veltman at Loma Linda. And then little did I know, Dr. Hogue and Dr. Veltman had already been working to roll out these mobile clinics because as you know, Dean Hogue is very big in terms of immunization and really reaching harder to reach communities. That is something that he's very passionate about mobile clinics. Yes. So because of that, that uh, passion and he really put pharmacy on the front lines for immunizations at Loma Linda, um, I was able to have a seat at that table. So once again, the importance of sponsorship and mentorship, I was able to have a seat at that table. And then uh, it became very clear to us that to be able to um, engage our faith leaders, it would be important to have someone that is culturally representative in every aspect at those clinics. So we created three tiers for developing the vaccines, which we did, um, we published in the Lancet Global Health. But um, when we, these three, these three tiers that we have include engaging faith leaders, 
the delivery of education from a black pharmacist, so cultural representation, and then finally the, the creation and the, the rollout of low barrier vaccination clinics. So previously we had the largest mass, mass, mass vaccination clinic in San Bernardino County. San Bernardino County is the fourth largest county in uh, Southern California. So a really big county that we have here. And uh, when we first started vaccinating, so within the first two months or so, we had only seen 3% of vaccinees that were black individuals. However, they represented a, a far larger burden of individuals that were hospitalized due to COVID-19 and moreover, just underrepresented in terms of just the percentage of the, the demographic that they represent in uh, San Bernardino County. So we knew that it would be important to have concentrated efforts. So once again, we began our, uh, we then put our three tiers into place. And in engaging our faith leaders, we began with uh, doing COVID-19 vaccine information. So we do what are called faith summits. However, we're trying to change the name so that we can uh, broaden our reach. We don't want to scare people yeah, away yeah. with the faith summit. So, so we're trying to, you know, figure out a way to, uh, to market this so we can broaden our reach. But um, with that, myself, as well as the Assistant VP of Community Engagement, Dr. J.C. Belliard, Ron Carlos Belliard, he is Latino. And then we have a Black psychologist, Dr. Bridget Petit, who um, all employed by Loma Linda, and we go ahead and we do this faith summit. So um, Dr. Belliard starts with explaining just the burden of COVID-19 and um, how it is permeating through uh, minoritized communities. Dr. Petit then talks about the psychology surrounding COVID-19 and why it is that minoritized communities may not want to be vaccinated. And then I come in and I give uh, COVID-19 vaccine information and I tried to go ahead and just make individuals of these minoritized communities stakeholders in their decision-making so, so that they have the facts to do so. So um, in doing that, I make sure that I focus on the clinical trials, but the way that I focus on them is in respect to them. So I talk about the Black individuals that are represented, the Native American presented. I really try to make sure that they know that there has been changes since the Tuskegee experiment due to the, the um, Tuskegee experiment, honestly, and that people that have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19 are in fact um, accounted for in these studies and they want to make sure that these vaccines work. And um, I really try to make sure that they understand that and that when they want to talk through the vaccines with other individuals, they have the keys to do so. So that's what we do here. And then we have our low barrier vaccination clinics. And it's really just been such a joyous experience for us at Loma Linda to be able to do this, to be able to go ahead and be known as trusted individuals in the community. We've even uh, began going into people's homes to vaccinate them because uh, we want to make sure that we're able to adjust, right, every time that uh, we have changes in, in vaccine demand, vaccine uptake, we, we come together and we say, okay, let's adjust, let's make sure that we're adequately attacking these barriers and that we don't necessarily group everyone's and that we don't group every underrepresented or minoritized group in the same box. So we have to make sure that we recalibrate and we readjust based upon the disparity for one. And then uh, again, the barrier that may exist across each community. Jacinda, there is just so much to unpack there, but I, I first want to just acknowledge and probably among your friends when you started that journal club, you couldn't even have envisioned what would come next, right? Like, and how big and impactful all this would happen, right? Right. It's, it's so funny. We talk about that all the time. I was like, I never thought it'd take off like this, but I'm so, I mean, to give them just a slight plug while we're here, Dr. Yewande Dio, Dr. Michelle Maxson, Dr. Brenda Simiu, and Dr. Robbie Christian. I mean, they're, they're my family. 
And to have their support and to have been able to, to start this with them was really just a great opportunity for all of us. Yeah, I just love that. And I, you know, I think to our listeners who are working on something or have that group that's like their squad, their people that they go to, you know, I, I was texting with some of those in, in my group this morning, you know, about some funny kind of stuff <laughs> happening in the world and in pharmacy. You just never know. And I think having that support, you know, you under you underline that. And then I just I really want to say, you know, kudos to your group for a making it you know, multidiscipline, and then also meeting people where they are, and then adjusting, you know, based as you talked about where, you know, you started in the, the churches, and now you're going to do some stuff in people's homes. And I think the point about education, so that people could really understand, and then engagement as a stakeholder, you know, that they have a choice in it, and that they're engaged and involved, is just really, really cool. I will link in the show notes to your article. And I just want to be loud and proud and say, when you first linked to that article and you, you know, you did a post kind of a, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening in my life. But I remember reading that and thinking, wow, like for a farm D to be the lead author in, you know, the Landsat Global Health, and then with your co-authors, I just just so you know, this pharmacist in Iowa was doing a happy dance for you. Like, I just thought that was the cool, <laughs> I, I just thought that was the coolest thing. And, you know, I know that's been used as for an example for others as vaccine confidence. You know, we're seeing some things happening in beauty shops, barbershops, all kinds of things. There's a woman here in Iowa who did like a vaccine taxi, you know, where she's driving around helping to vaccinate. So I, you know, I just really think that that is just so cool. So we'll link to that. Thank you. I did want to say that we uh, we included the pastors as well as authors in the in the article. I wanted to make sure that I elaborated on that and just really uh, magnified our inclusion of the pastors as authors. I think that I'm most proud of that. So for them to be able to share that with their congregation, but moreover, it just shows the importance of, of the community in really um, helping us get this done. And when I say stakeholders, like we treated them as such, they are as such. I'm so honored to be able to work alongside them every day. I mean, honestly, we just got off a call yesterday because we're scaling up our interventions. So I'm so happy and I love them. So, you know, thank you to the pastors for their work as well. Yes, thank you to the pastors because, you know, they engage and bring that community together. And I think they they know the people themselves so well because they've right. seen kind of the life cycles of their congregation and you know, what I think is interesting with pastors is they know, and I, I appreciate that it's evolved during COVID because of, you know, sometimes people haven't been able to physically gather as much as they had in the past, but they very much have a sense of what's going on in people's lives and homes because of, you know, what they observe and what they're called in to help with. So yes, I think that you in included the pastors was really, really cool. Well, you know, as we've talked about all this, you know, we do recognize that it's been a challenging time in our world. And it's also had some silver linings, some things that were really positive that people have been able to do, maybe working on hobbies or doing some fun things. So what do those look like for you? So I will say that, and this is so funny, but uh, so I love to read romance novels. I've gone through literally thousands it was something that I did with my grandma but um it was something that we did and I love I just love reading uh romance novels so it was so one of my favorite authors actually at this time is Dr. Allison her author name is Allison Ashley so I can't remember her her last name because of course that's not her actual name but 
Her name is uh, Dr. Allison. She's an oncology pharmacist, but I just so happened to be scrolling through Amazon looking for a new book. And then I read the synopsis of the books, of course, like every normal person. And when I'm reading the synopsis of the book, I just so happen to see it's very like concentrated, very direct description. It's like, oh, you know, this woman, she uh, is an oncology pharmacy resident and, you know, she falls in love with one of the patients. And then I was like, okay, either this person is really close to an oncology pharmacist or they are an oncology pharmacist themselves because very little people actually know that we go through residencies and very little people would be, I mean, even when you read books about physicians, very little people are that specific about residency programs. Right, right. So I was like, okay, you know, this has to be something. So I went and I read about the author because I wanted to know more. Turns out she's an oncology pharmacist. So I made sure to like blow her up on Twitter. I did an entire thread because I was so impressed. She was really using this as just a, a place of representation. So right here with romance novels is a place that, and I think that we as pharmacists can always do a better job at amplifying who we are and just showing what it is that pharmacy is. So I was so appreciative that she did that, that she showed that we could specialize and then did it in such a great romance novel. I love the book. So she she actually ended up, you know, mailing me the book and um, it's a signed copy and I have it right on my bookshelf. I'm so happy to have it. And yeah, it's I love romance. And uh, thank you, Dr. Allison Ashley, for the book. Um, it's the perfect distraction if any of you guys want to go take a peek, but I'm so happy that she's in that space. Well, that is just so fun that you shared. You know, I love that it's something you used to do with your grandma. And, you know, when I had uh, Vibudia and we talked about our grandmothers and how special those relationships can be. And I had a special relationship with my grandmother who passed quite a long time ago, but that you shared that I think is so cool. And like you, I'm on the lookout for pharmacy kind of stuff. And, you know, when pharmacists are included or mentioned, and that is just so wild. I'm going to have to check her out because I, I do think, romance novels sometimes can be the perfect beach read or summer read or actually really any time of year. I'm with you. I'm I'm down with a good story, a good love story and whether it works out or not, but I definitely will check her out. And I, I think it's funny too, that someone would get all the nuances related to not only, you know, that she's an oncology pharmacist, but also the residency part, because we know, you know, that that's a big thing that's been talked about a lot the last several months with Match and then now people starting their residencies. But that I'll check it out. That's that's really, really fun. Yeah, it is amazing. I really love she actually has a new book out, Home Sweet Mess. It's a continuation of the first book. So from the characters there, loved it, read it in one night, really regretted it the next morning. But um, it was amazing. I just I love it. I love romance novels. So, I mean, if you guys read Lisa Claypens or if you have any romantic authors that you want to throw out, I'd love to hear it. Oh, cool. All right. That's fun. (laughs) Well, on a more serious note, you know, in the past year, there's been a lot of discussion. Uh, Women pharmacists sparked this national conversation about sexual harassment and gender inequity. And, you know, what's a very positive thing is that the conversation has evolved. You know, there's been more leadership on it and action. And, you know, one of those action steps, there's been several policy statements and things that have come out. But there also was an article that's in publication recently published by AJHP, Gender Inequity and Sexual Harassment in the Pharmacy Profession, Evidence and Call to Action. So you're one of the co-authors and there's a large group of co-authors. So tell me more about this important project. 
Right. So yeah, once again, uh, thank you to uh, Dr. Brittany Bissell and Dr. Martha Hebner for um, including me in this. They found me on Twitter. So shout yep. out to Twitter for that plug. But um, but I am very honored to be able to have collaborated with them on this. And uh, moreover, we had a small subgroup and I was really happy to be able to meet um, just those individuals in that subgroup that we worked in because, you know, it was people and I just joined the critical care world. So I'm um, ID trained, but um, it was it was great to be able to talk with them and to just hear their experiences and to be able to really make sure that we represented what it is that they wanted for change there. So um, that was very exciting. But it was moreover, I was very excited to be able to discuss gender and equity. So um, equity work is something that is very important to me. And you can't do one piece of it without doing all of it. So, I mean, I think that talking about um, gender and equity, especially in pharmacy, when we think about just the overrepresentation of women, but just uh, the, the low number of women that we see in the C-suites, the low number of women that we see holding deanship roles, or actually that are presidents of organizations, it's astounding. I was so happy to be able to bring this to light, but to also, you know, to talk about that sexual harassment piece and to hold these individuals that engage in that behavior, to hold them accountable, to let them know that, you know, this is our time and we're not going to stand back and we're not going to be silent. We're going to stand boldly on our platform and we're going to scream for action. So I was really excited to be able to do that. I do it 10 times over. I'm hopeful that, you know, sometime in the future, I could also um, expound on this topic and talk about how gender inequity has a very close interrelationship and intersection with racism because of course every racial and ethnic groups experience this with gender inequity looks a bit different so um, I hope to be able to do that but I'm, I'm like I said I'm so honored to have been included and so happy to be living in this time where we are very dedicated to advocacy and dedicated to change. Well, I was able to review the article before our talk today and there was just so much in that article that I, I really encourage our listeners, if you haven't read it, to go out there and go through it. And, you know, you mentioned about representation and, you know, the percentage of female student pharmacists and women practitioners out there. And, you know, it is significant, but then as you stated, the number in um, CEO roles or in dean roles or chief pharmacist is less. And, you know, I've talked about that earlier during my tenure with PTCB that I was the only woman on our board of governors for 17 years. And one thing that I thought was really helpful in the article was you have several attachments and reference, and there's a reference document related to looking at kind of what's happening across the profession among the national organizations with their leadership roles. And, you know, several of the presidents of these national organizations I've been able to have on the Melissa Rx Groups podcast, which has been great. And then several of like whatever is the highest honor for those awards. So, you know, I've had Paul Parker recipients, I've had Remington medalists on, I've had Whitney medalists, but it's interesting, Jam, when I actually read the article to see okay, we've made progress, but as you just described, there's so much more that we need to do, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 125%. Yeah. So, thank you. I want to say, you know, a sincere thank you to everyone who worked on that. And I think that's just the beginning that, you know, we need to continue to have these conversations and recognize that sometimes they're tough conversations, but the more that we have them, hopefully the easier things will be as um, Lynette Bradley Baker mentioned, um, you know, several episodes again. Well, you know, another thing that you're involved with that I was super excited and I've again learned about on Twitter um, is giving back. And so, you know, you're part of this group of practicing pharmacists who organized this way to give back mutual aid movement entitled Farm Grad Wishlist. 
So what's that all about and how does it work? So the farm grant wish list was started based on the med grant wish list. Dr. Farrah Moy, she, we saw, uh, okay, so Dr. Betsy Hirsch actually pulled us all together via uh, Twitter once again. So Twitter, shout out to Twitter. It's such a great networking tool. But uh, yeah, Dr. Betsy Hirsch pulled us together after the med grant wish list um, had been started. So it was a bunch of uh, physician students and I guess a physician mentor that came aboard and they started a med grant wish list for students that were going to be matriculating um, following the match until they're into their residencies. Dr. Hirsch or Betsy saw this and she said, oh, you know, this would be something great for us to do for pharmacy grads. We have a number of students that go into residency. We have a number of students that go into jobs afterwards. Minoritized students, of course, are more likely to not have the financial backing to get off on the right foot for uh, an easy transition. And I can attest to that because I was one of those students that did not have a great financial backing. It was very hard for me to kind of catch my footing when I was transitioning into residency, especially transitioning into residency in, in the District of Columbia, very expensive place. Oh, yeah. So because of this, um, Betsy Poole, myself, um, Jason Mordino, who is a residency director, Carolyn Cole, residency director, Ewish Sanders, and Brittany Brown is on board. So we all came together and uh, we began working to go ahead and to amplify the farm grant wish list. So it's targeted to uh, minoritized or Black, Indigenous, and uh, persons of colors, those students, and we want to assist them as they matriculate into the profession. So they create Amazon wish list, and we amplify this on our uh, website and, you know, try to get individuals to sponsor them. So buy things on their wish list. At this present time, we've amplified over 150 wish lists and we've wow. raised over $10,000 in terms of GoFundMe funds for individuals that'll be going into residencies. So uh, with that being said, we recently had a student who's... Um, all his belongings uh, went up in flames consequently, but we were able to go ahead and get uh, funds for him so that he could transition and start to rebuild his life following that. It, he was going, he's going into residency. So, you know, God bless him. And I'm very excited that we were able to, you know, assist him in that way. But we've really been working on ways to um, expand our farm grant wish list to really just, you know, educate the pharmacy community on inequities and social determinants of health, especially for our minoritized students. And and um, just the importance of assisting them as they uh, progress through pharmacy. I mean, I think it's important that we talk about the fact that minoritized individuals or BIPOC students represent about 5% of pharmacy grads. Black individuals specifically represent 4.7% of the pharmacy workforce. So it's really important that we go ahead and we amplify that. We try to be those voices for change. Well, thank you for sharing. You know, I think this whole idea of amplifying and we've that's been a thread throughout our our talk this morning, but also sharing, you know, what this concept is all about and how important it is to help others and give people a leg up, you know, what that looks like. And, you know, for students, there can be such expenses as they wrap up schooling. And then if they're going to residency related to travel, setting up where they're going to live, what that looks like. And so the idea of if people want to help and you know, the idea of an Amazon wish list, I think that has really changed our worlds related to, hey, these are things that people specifically need that can make such a difference for them setting their lives up. And I also want to give a shout out. I know that a group of you were on the Pharmacy Podcast Network with Todd talking about, you know, this important work that you're doing. And then I believe there was even a, a, a student recipient or a resident recipient talking about 
you know, the difference that it made in her life. And, you know, back to social media, I remember seeing some of these posts as students were graduating who were part of it, you know, just talking about either gratitude for, you know, being part of farm grad wish list or that they were getting ready to, they were either studying for their boards, for the NAPLEX, or they were getting ready to move. So it's a really, really neat thing. And again, we'll link to that in the show notes if people want to engage. And we hope that they see that as something valuable because it does make a difference to just help out on, on some of these things. And it's a, it's a small thing that um, people can do that can really change lives, right? Yes, absolutely. Very small. But I mean, and even the, the thank yous that I've received from the students, I mean, it's been amazing. And they really warm your spirit. It's like, thanks, Dr. Jam. I appreciate, you know, you buying me this coffee cup. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's as small as a coffee cup. But I mean, I think about myself and I think about how much this would have helped me to even see that someone cared about enough about me to spare, you know, $5 and send me something you know, to, to assist me in my residency. I mean, it would have made a world of, a world of difference. Residency is a very hard year for um, the emerging pharmacy. Moving into to having a job, going from being a student to a practicing pharmacist, it's hard. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate that um, Betsy really wanted to engage us in that. I appreciate her. She's been a mentor and a sponsor to me since we met, honestly. We met at a conference and it's been, you know, wheels up ever since. So I appreciate her. But I appreciate, you know, the entire board for really working very hard for these students. Yeah. And, you know, I think you nailed it when you said it might be a little thing, but, you know, that I, I think that student, whenever he or she drinks out of that coffee cup is going to think of you and think about, you know, what that means. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that that's a theme that we've had on some of these discussions is it can be the smallest step. And then what's really cool is I know from students that I've been able to help out or do stuff with, then they want to pay it forward and they already start doing it or they talk about, well, when I'm able to, and that I think is really cool that we just kind of continue the momentum and it goes and so on and so on and, and moves forward. Well, you know, you and I could just keep going. And I'm so joyful that we've been able to have this conversation. At the conclusion of each of these conversations, there's a question that I ask my guests. And the question is, well, I have you. Is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? I think that I would like to share and just to discuss the importance of mental health. So keeping mental health at the forefront. So with me, to be completely transparent, um, and I want to start by first, you know, thanking Dr. Ryback, who is, uh, I guess, my ultimate mentor. I'm so appreciative to him because he really went out, on, went out on the limb. I didn't have the training that he usually looks for, but he, you know, took me on board to his fellowship anyway, and I'm so appreciative of that. But um, as far to my only knowledge, I was the first Black fellow that had been a part of that program. And if anyone is in infectious diseases, um, I think it's clear, you know, the, the program that this is. So for me, and um, having admired Dr. Ryback and his program for so long, I took a certain weight onto myself. And I think that I've often found myself in this position of being the first or being the only Black woman and honestly being the youngest. Yep. So um, it's been, you know, a whirlwind experience. And um, it's really taking a toll on my mental health. I often, you know, I talk to my students about this and they're always, you know, like, Dr. Jam, what should I do? Or what should I, you know, do now? And I tell them, take a break. You know, I think about your mental health. Don't you have your entire life to do X, Y, and Z. Sit down, you know, take a deep breath. 
And that's something that I've really had to work hard at. Um, I began going to therapy when I was in uh, my, my fellowship. Once again, in complete transparency, I went to the doctor's office and my blood pressure was 175 over 115. And uh, the physician, I remember he like creeped around the uh, table and he looked at me and he was like, are you okay? Like, yeah, yeah. are you having a stroke? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, you know, he he told me, he said, listen, you are probably going through a lot right now. I know how training can be. And he was actually a um, Middle Eastern individual. So he was like, I know how hard it is for minoritized individuals to be in, you know, these advanced training programs. But he was like, you have to take care of yourself. You have to, like, he's like, you are going to stroke out and you're not going to be able to, to be any good to anybody. So um, at that moment, I started taking hydrochlorothiazide and um, I started going to therapy. So I've been in aggressive therapy. And by aggressive, I mean, I go every single week. <laughs> I go one day out of that week. And I've been doing that for the last two years straight. So we moved here. I immediately, we moved to California. I immediately got a new therapist. And I continued to go to therapy because it was very important for me to work through uh, my feelings, to work through adequate expectations to set for myself. But also doing this equity work has also uh, forced me in the position where I'm constantly looking at just uh, the fact of the matter that inequities do exist. It's going to be a long time before minoritized individuals are able to experience equity. And with that being said, it, it's it's... It's exciting to be able to do the work because I know the work needs to be done, but I mean, it takes a toll on my spirit to see it, to have to knock on the doors, to go into the homes of these individuals in the communities, to ride down the streets and to see that they literally would have had no way to get the vaccine had we not come into their community, to have people come to the clinics and sob and say, I did not know how I would be able to get vaccinated, but I had to sit in the house with my husband that had COVID and unfortunately he passed away or to hear these stories of these people. I actually went into the house of a, um, of a family and um, the woman said, I just knew that, you know, my kids would walk into the room and find me and my husband dead because we barely made it out alive with COVID-19. When those people come to those clinics, they've had COVID before. Almost all of them have had COVID before. And I mean, when you think about the fact that minoritized individuals are more likely to work in these positions, to work in these essential worker roles, you understand that COVID-19 and other vaccine preventable diseases, they're very much a reality for them. Dying as a cause of, of this pandemic is very much a reality for them. So I know that this equity work is important, but I mean, it kills me. And I didn't realize the toll it was taking on me until my husband brought it to my attention when I told him about what I wanted to talk about here. And he was like, you really, you have to pick yourself up after you do these clinics. Like, you know, you show the good parts. Yeah. But, um, you know, I really have to pour back into myself afterwards because it, it kills me. I'm like out for the entire weekend after we do these clinics. So I think it's important that, you know, we, we don't, we look at these people um, that do this work and we say, you know, I'm so happy they're doing this, but, you know, lift them up, you know, in those moments or take that time to, to, to think about them. And if you are a praying person, pray for them because, you know, it's not an easy work to do. So I always want to tell people to keep your mental health at the forefront. It's okay to have to take a step back. I mean, we saw Simone Biles, who's the best gymnast to have ever participated in the sport. And she knew that her mental health was not where it needed to be. And she took a step back. So if she can do it, we most certainly can. What you just shared, I think, is one of the most important prescriptions or life lessons. And I just, you know, humbly and sincerely want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing that. 
Um, thank you for sharing your story, that for the mentoring that you've provided to students about taking a break. We heard last year from Kelly Jo Welter that it's okay to not be okay, you know, and I think that's a message that we've all needed to hear more. This work and as healthcare providers, I think pharmacists are giving and want to be engaged, but they've been frontline in, in, in extremely difficult circumstances. And, you know, you, you just gave us some examples of those that are very, very hard to navigate through, but there are resources out there. And I think what you've shared is take advantage of those resources, make sure you're taking care of yourself, take a break when you need it. And those are all just like important, important life lessons. Well, you know, I just want to say thanks. And I think this for the two of us is the first of probably many conversations we're going to have. I can't wait till we can meet in person because um, I think that would be super fun too. And you know, just everything you've shared and the work that you're doing is really, really exciting. And I, you know, look forward to learning more. And I want to thank you for sharing, you know, your insights with me. This is the Melissa Rx Groups podcast. And I want to thank our listeners and encourage them to subscribe to the podcast. And I also want to give a special shout out to my producer, Kate Cruz, with Executive Podcast Solutions, who helps make our magic happen. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Melissa, for having me. It was a pleasure to join. If you don't already, follow me on Twitter at JCDoesID. Um, I think it's always a good time. Thank you again.